Thank you. Excellent singing. Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. Last week we had our annual Vision Sunday. And this is a this is a day every year when we look forward to the focus that our church has on the coming year. 2015 was about growing together. And uh, 2016, uh, our focus for this year is going to be on serve. If you were not able to be here last week, the last two weeks has been uh, interesting. Sundays have been snowy, and so I know for some of you, uh, it's not something you enjoy driving in or cannot get out in. We understand that. So if you were not able to join us the last couple weeks, or for whatever reason you weren't here, I encourage you to get onto our, our, our church website, and you can uh, uh, either watch the service from last week, or you can just listen to the message. And I don't say that uh, because, you know, the messenger was great, but the idea is we're trying to let you as a church know, here's our focus for this year, and for this year it's going to be to serve As you look throughout the Bible, you see over and over again the idea of service. Jesus taught His disciples that humility uh, is something that all of us should have, and a true sign of humility is one who serves. So what is our vision for this year? Well, really it's threefold. We began talking about this last week. Our desire is to serve one another. We have a responsibility to do that, and we'll talk more about that. Uh, Our responsibility is to serve the church. Um, you, if you are a part of our church, should be active in serving um, in, in different areas. And then our responsibility is to serve the world. It's not just inside these walls, but to go out and impact uh, the world around us uh, for the cause of Christ. For the next few weeks, I'm going to be speaking specifically on the area of serving each other and talking about how do we interact inside the body? How do we in- interact inside the church with one another? How is, what is our responsibility in that relationship? And we often are, are, come in, and many times I see this with individuals, we come in and we become bystanders. We become you know, fans at a football game. Um, some of you will probably be watching the football game today, uh, as I'll watch part of it anyway until church. And then I'll have to leave when my favorite team is in the midst of the most important part of the game. But that's, that's okay. I'll survive. Okay, but uh, when, we ta- when you watch a football game, you know, I'm going to watch the game and I'm going to enjoy it. But I am not going to get tackled at any point unless my son decides to tackle me. I'm not going to get hit in the head with, you know, a hard hit. I am not going to sprain my ankle watching the game unless I have some serious issues. Why? Because I'm a fan. But God desires us to be more than that. God desires for us to get involved in the action. God desires for us to be a part of what's going on. Whether we're at church or elsewhere, God gives us a responsibility to serve one another. As I stated last week, there are 56 times in the Bible, in the New Testament primarily, where the phrase, one another, is used to describe our relationship with each other inside the church. Now, as I said last week, they're used in many ways. Some of them are instructed to live in unity one with another. Some are instructed that we're to love one another, and many, many more. Some are requiring us to greet each other. As I said last week, Scripture says four times, greet each other with a kiss. We don't do that today. 
Uh, well, so maybe some of you do, but uh, uh, that is not the cultural standard for our uh, culture today. But the idea is, the, throughout Scripture, it gives us how we're to interact. And today, as we begin this study, I want to look at a very important command in Scripture, and that is the command to pray for one another. It's the command to really to, to pursue God for the sake of another. Now I want to remind you for a moment, that phrase, one another, as I said last week, in the English it's two words, but in the Greek it's one word. And the word is the idea of a mutual responsibility. Because very often we read these things and we say, yeah, people should be doing that for me. But that's not the intent of the passage and the intent of the word. It implies a responsibility that I have. It implies a responsibility that you have. So I want you to think about that. Because sometimes when we talk about the area of prayer, I, I think maybe we're a little immature in that area. And we want everyone to pray for us, but we sometimes struggle with praying for others. Sometimes our prayers are like the prayers of kids. I always love hearing the prayers of kids. And uh, like this child, he said, Dear God, when will my sister stop being annoying? I'm down to my last patience. <laughs> I don't know if that's the best way to pray for her sister. Or how about this one? God... Please forgive me for hiding my sister's favorite doll, and please, please do not tell her where I put it. <laughs> or this child had said, Dear God, it must be super hard to love all the people in the world, especially my brother. I have no idea how you do that. Or this child had said, Dear God, could you please send Mikey Johnson to another summer camp this year? I'm sure he would enjoy being away from me as much as I would being away from him. I think most of us have matured beyond that. Most of us. But yet we struggle with praying for others. Why is that? I think there are many reasons why we don't pray for one another. I would just share a few of them, just an introduction. I, I believe that, first of all, maybe we don't pray because we don't know how to pray. And that certainly can be a reason you know, many of us don't know where to begin or what to say or, or how actually do we pray for one another. And there is a need to learn how to pray. It's something that uh, it, it doesn't come automatically. It doesn't come automatically for you to sit down and pray, number one. It doesn't come automatically to sit down and pray for one another. You know, if, if you do get into a habit of prayer, it's easier to pray for yourself, but to begin to pray for others is difficult. We have to work at it. Secondly, we don't pray because we don't think prayer accomplishes much. Now, I don't think people would admit this openly. But I'm guessing there's many of here that struggle with that. Struggle with the idea of deep down you think, you know, prayer is a nice religious exercise. It makes me feel better, but does it really do anything? We don't believe that what God says is that, that prayer actually moves the hand of God. We don't believe actually that the Bible tells us that prayer uh, unleashes the power of God. It's hard for us to understand that. We, need, we really need to believe that it does. Because if we really believe that, that our prayer has that type of impact, then we would probably do it more often. Fourthly, thirdly, excuse me, why do we not pray? Maybe it's because we have a wrong concept of God. We believe God to be a mean ogre that wants to hurt us. So we don't go to God in prayer. 
Or maybe, maybe we view God as this colossal vending machine whose sole purpose is to give us what we want. And we go to Him and we put in our quarter and we expect something to pop out that we desire and when it doesn't, we get upset. That's not how it works. We don't get what we want, we're disappointed, we're angry. <laughs> Ever go to a vending machine and you don't get what you want, you're disappointed, you're angry, maybe you kick the machine hoping that that's somehow going to help. Yeah, I believe that's somehow we respond to God. But the right view of God is to see Him as our Heavenly Father. He's a great parent. He hears every request we have, but He gives us only what's good for us, which is not always what we want. We understand that God is loving, He's patient, He's holy, and that should cause us to pray. Yet sometimes we have a wrong view of God. And then fourthly, I think we don't pray because we're too self-sufficient. We're overconfident in our own abilities. Oh, we'll sit down and pray because, you know, our grandmother is sick, but when it's, it's a simple thing that we think we accomplish, we, we don't. We don't pray. We tell God that we can handle the little stuff. We tell God that we can handle this and we can handle that, and we only bring Him the really big stuff. I think we have a wrong idea there. We don't think we need to pray. Maybe we don't pray, but we need to realize something. Secondly, I want to look at, we need to realize that we are called to pray. I want to look at two verses. One is the one I told you to turn to in James. But first of all, I want you to notice in Ephesians. Ephesians is chapter 6. If you remember as a church, we went through Ephesians a couple years ago. Ephesians chapter 6, he gets to and he talks about the armor of God and he ends the armor of God with a very important statement and he says that we're to pray always. And, and in that passage, he says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Notice all, how many times he says, all in there. Pray at all times, in all ways, for all people. We're to pray. We're to be a people who are, are constantly praying for the needs of others. And I really want you to think about this as we go through this. This is uh, a, a different type of message in the sense we're going to be looking at a lot of passages because I want to see you, how, how, see, show you how many times in Scripture we see individuals, and specifically we're going to be looking at Paul and how much he prays for those, uh, those around him because it's something we should be doing. Do you know the needs of those around you and do you pray for it? second passage we're going to look at is the one I told you to turn to, James chapter 5. In verse 16, he says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. We see in that passage, uh, really, James here is stressing some prayer for one another. And this is the key passage, passage in Scripture that tells us where to pray for one another, although we see the principle throughout. But as we look at this passage, I want you to notice a few things. First of all, I want you to notice that prayer is powerful and effective. Prayer is, is, it can accomplish so much. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. A few minutes ago I said sometimes we struggle to pray for others because we don't think prayer accomplishes anything. But here, through the inspiration, <coughs> excuse me, through the inspiration of God, James says this. He says, prayer, the, righteous, the prayer of a righteous person has great power. Do you think God would tell us that if it didn't? 
God tells us that our prayer, if we are righteous, actually has power. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes we think, well, you know, what, what's it actually accomplishing? I cannot begin to understand the mind of God, so I cannot tell you exactly how it works. I cannot tell you how it sways God, but the Scripture tells us that it does. So prayer is powerful. It's a powerful thing, and we, we so often want uh, to see something happen, yet we don't pray. We don't pray as a church. Some of the least attended events, not only of this church, but of churches around the country are prayer meetings. Prayer, if we actually believe what God says, that it has the power to do great things, then we would be doing it. Some of the greatest revivals in the history of uh, not only our country, but of the world, started with simple prayer meetings. People said, you know what, we need to pray. And here, James says that the, the... Prayer of a righteous man, and the King James, it says, is effectual, has great power, has great effect. We need to realize that prayer is powerful, but secondly, we need to pray for each other. Notice the prayer that is mentioned in this passage, and it's not, I don't want you to take this, it's not insignificant. He says there in that passage, therefore confess your sin to one another and pray for one another. The prayer that is mentioned in this passage is a prayer of confession. That's interesting. It's not just a prayer about their physical needs. And I, I want to say right here and there and now, I'm not saying that that's wrong. But it's not that. This is a prayer where he says, you know, pray for your brother because they're, they're struggling with this sin. So we need to pray for each other. But I want you to notice the last aspect of that is prayer involves an intimate relationship because notice that it comes after confession is made. It comes after that. In relationships where we share our struggles and our needs with each other uh, happen, and when they happen, prayer happens. Yet, so often, we're not willing to do that. And some of you, maybe you're, you, you can't even share with your spouse your struggles spiritually. Never mind others in the church. We somehow think that if I share, if I share my struggles, they're going to look down on me or, or they're going to think I'm a bad person. Well, guess what? You are a bad person. <laughs> Bible says there are none righteous, no, not one. There's none that does good by themselves. And so when you turn and you share in depth with, your, with, with someone in the church, with someone that you care about, and you tell them, hey, I'm struggling with them, and they look back at you, if they look back at you with, with condemning eyes, you know what, that's on them. Here we see James says, as we pour out uh, before uh, each other, and we give, there is a sense here where I think it's impossible to have this type of prayer life unless we dive into people's lives and we let them dive into ours. Do you have that type of relationship with people in this church? You should. Is there people in this church that know your intimate pains? You should. Or is it just, hey, I'm going to run into church and I'll, uh, you know, hour and a half, you know, if Pastor Pete goes a little long, we might be there two hours and then I'm gone. I'm not going to develop any relationships. 
God says to us here in this passage, and we'll talk about confess at another time, but God says, confess your sins one another and pray for each other. Are you praying for each other? My prayer life has changed over the, the, the years and to the point that you know when, when someone comes to me and says, hey, can you pray for this person because they have this physical problem? You know what? I'm going to pray for that physical problem, but I'm going to pray more than that. I'm going to pray that, that they have the endurance to handle that. I'm going to pray that they have the wisdom. I'm going to pray that they have the understanding of God. Because it's more than just uh, the, the outward stuff. But do we build those type of relationships? I know some of you, you desperately long for that. Say, well, you know, no one, no one comes and builds that relationship with me. Then you do it. Begin establishing that. When we do so, when we begin to build those relationships, here is what James is saying. When we confess our sins because we have such an intimate relationship with each other, we confess our sins and then we pray for each other. Then he says, you know what will happen? You'll be healed. Maybe it doesn't happen overnight. Maybe it takes a long time. But God says there is healing that takes place. So we need to realize that God calls us to pray. And then next, we need to recall Paul's example of prayer. I want to look at Paul uh, in a few different uh, ways, but I want you to notice that Paul, over and over and over again, is such a great example of praying for others and asking for others to pray for him. You know, Paul wasn't too proud or self-reliant to ask for prayer. Over and over in his letters, he's begging the people, please pray for me. I want to look at a couple examples. And, and, and I really, as I was going through this and I was studying this, I listed out um, many more examples, but I had to limit them because of our time and, and because uh, we, just, we can't look at every passage. But over and over again, Paul does that. We looked at uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18 a moment ago where he says, pray at all times. He says, making supplication for all saints. And then notice what he says next in verse 19. He says, and also for me. Pray for me. Was this a selfish motivation? No. Paul realized he could not do it in and of himself. Notice what he says in Colossians. He says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us. We'll get into what exactly Paul prays for and what Paul wants people to pray for, but we notice here that Paul had no problem asking for people to pray. Now this is interesting, because think about this for a moment. When we look at Paul's prayers and what he asked the church to pray for about him, we notice something interesting. We do not see Paul asking for God to change his circumstances. Now, many times Paul will be writing these letters and he's saying to the people, he's saying, pray for boldness in my faith. He doesn't say, pray that my chains will be removed. And so often, that's, that's our mindset. God, take this away. And Paul does not do that. He asks that God changes his heart and his mind and his thinking so that his circumstances don't bother him in the same way. His circumstances don't affect him. As I said, it's not wrong to pray for our circumstances, to pray for our health, and it's not wrong to pray that God gives us an easier path. Remember Jesus, the night before He died on the cross, what did He do? He said, Lord, 
if there's any way possible that this can be taken from me, I'd love for that to happen. Nevertheless, not your will, or not my will, but yours be done. We see that he, he didn't allow himself, Jesus and Paul, they didn't allow themselves to be concerned with, with their own uh, problems. They prayed that God work in them. Now, Paul was not too proud to ask for prayer. We see he did that over and over again. In 1 Thessalonians, he simply says, pray for me. We see that again and again and again. But not only was he willing to ask for prayer, but he was one that was praying. We're going to look at a number of examples of this, but he was praying for them. Notice, if you will, some passages. Look at Philippians chapter 1. He says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. (coughs) Have you ever thought and taken the time to think about what Paul's prayer life must have been? Paul wrote a number of letters. If you look through, you see he wrote to a number of different churches. I believe Paul had relationships with churches that he, we might not even have letters to. And Paul wrote to these churches. Paul wrote to individuals like Philemon and Timothy. And, and we see that Paul wrote these. In almost every single letter, Paul says, I'm praying for you always. Can you imagine the prayer list Paul had? <laughs> And over and over again, we see Paul just begging God for these people that God would work in their lives. And again, he's not saying, we don't see him. We'll look at examples of prayer in a minute that Paul made, but we don't see him saying, God, I pray for uh, the church that you know, their, their, uh, their building will get done. Or God, I pray for you know, Uncle Joe because he, he has this problem. He says over and over again, it's, it's, it's heart issues. As people, are we doing that? Notice what Paul prayed when he was talking to Philemon. He says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. I thank my God always. Here he's talking to Philemon and he's telling him, he says, I'm, Philemon, I'm constantly praying for you. Are you praying for each other that way? Fourth thing I want to look at is as we begin to pray, we will find that God begins to work. So I want to look at just for a few moments and rehearse the impact of our prayers. What begins to happen when we pray for others? What begins to happen when we really, truly desire to pray for one another? few things, and I could do a lot more, but just want to look at a few. First of all, we receive. We looked at the passage in James where he says, if a, if a righteous man will pray, there is power in his prayer, which gives us the idea that there is, it, and, and as I said in King James, it says it's effectual. That means that it's an effective prayer. We always get an answer. And, and the problem is sometimes we don't get the answer we want. Sometimes we don't get the answer we hope for, but yet we always get an answer. And we see that again in Matthew chapter 7. He says, ask and it shall be given to you. He doesn't say ask and maybe possibly you'll get it. Now we look at this verse sometimes in the wrong way. We say, okay, I asked for this and God didn't give this. But maybe it's you asked for this and God gave you something better. You felt that's what you needed was this, but God said, no, I had something much better in mind. 
Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. As we read further in Matthew and in other places in Scripture, we are assured that we'll only receive good things and never get something that's going to hurt us spiritually. Never get and get something that's going to, uh, that, is, that is going to tear us down. You know, sometimes this frustrates us. Frustrates us as, as people because we're confused about what we really need. You know, maybe your prayer is, God, I, I need healing in this relationship. You pray, God, I need healing in this relationship. But maybe what you need is not healing, but God's teaching you patience. Scripture tells us, though, every time we ask, we receive. We begin to ask God to work in the lives of other individuals around us. We will find that God will do that. We'll find that we receive. But not only do we receive, but we also, as we pray, one of the impacts on it is we profess our faith. You've heard this before, but there's the the, the saying that there is no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. The idea is when someone's in the midst of, of the hardest battle of life, uh, uh, actual battle, that they, they always acknowledge the existence of God. You know, when we pray, we acknowledge our belief in God. Maybe it's, it's a weak faith. Maybe it's a... Uh, um, uneducated faith. Maybe it's a faith that does not have any basis, but when we pray, we begin to acknowledge our belief in God. And prayer really is a significant profession of our faith. It's not a, uh, enough maybe for salvation because it's not a faith in the right thing, but yet it shows us that. We'd be foolish to pray to God if we didn't believe He existed. As we pray, each time we pray to the Lord, we're saying, Lord, I believe in You. That's where God wants us to be. And thirdly, we imitate Christ. I'm amazed how many times when you study the Gospels, how many times Jesus prayed. Think about that for a moment. Jesus, who in John chapter 1, it tells us that in the beginning was the Word, was Jesus. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And then it says, all things were made by Him. And so Jesus, who was the Creator, who made everything and, and knows everything, prayed. He prayed. Why? When Jesus came to earth, the Bible tells us that He came and although He was fully God, He was fully man, and so He struggled. The Scripture says that he was, he was tempted in every point just like we are. He struggled in areas just like we are, yet without sin. So He came to earth and He lived this human existence. And, and every time we see Him uh, uh, facing a trial, facing a trouble, he, he goes to His knees in prayer. And sometimes in, in massive times of quantity, we see the, the, when, when He was about to choose His disciples, the Bible tells us He went up to a mountain and He prayed all night. We see when He was about to face His trial in the, in the garden, He went and He prayed, and there was such a depth to His prayer, the Bible says He was sweating drops of blood. 
in agony. Whenever we pray, we're imitating our Lord. Whenever we're tempted to think that prayer doesn't do any good, think about Jesus. Jesus, who who knew the impact prayer had, and, and He prayed constantly. One church father said this, if he who is without sin prayed, how much more ought sinners to pray? When we pray, we receive, we profess our faith, we imitate Christ. Fourthly, we practice humility. The Bible is filled with verses that support the virtue of humility. 1 Peter chapter 5 says this, Humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Every time we pray, we acknowledge we are dependent on God. But the question is, are you? As I said, maybe many of the reasons we don't pray is because we don't think we need them. We think we're big enough, strong enough, smart enough, all of those things that we don't need in Almighty God. How many times have you been driven to your knees and realized, I can't do this? Now, how many times personally have I been driven to my knees and realized, you know what, I can't pastor this church on my own? How many times have I been driven to my knees and realized, I can't be the type of husband I need to be to my wife on my own? I can't be the type of father that I need to be on my own. I can't be the type of witness that I need to be on my own. I can't, I can't do anything that God wants me to do on my own. And it humbles me. We need to be humbled. And as we begin to go to, to God in prayer, it, it draws us to a point of humility to realize that I cannot do this. God, You must do this. When you begin to pray for others and you say, God, you need to work in this individual's life. They're hurting. They're aching. They're longing. And there's nothing I can do about it. You know, That's when God really began to teach me this as I, as I parent my kids and I go, God, I, I, I want this to happen to my kid's life and it's not. And everything I try to do as a parent, it's not happening. God, it has to be You. And it humbles us. Then we see not only we receive, we profess, we imitate Christ, we practice humility, but we obtain peace. And I love this. In Philippians chapter 4, he says, do not be anxious about anything. Let me ask you a question. How many of you are anxious at some point in your life? Okay, those of you that don't, didn't raise your hand, I would like to talk to you. We're all anxious. Some people live in constant anxiety. And that's not good either. And he says here in this passage, he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He says this, he says, when you, when you come to the point where you're anxious, which is, is a lot, and we get on our knees, he said, pour it out to God. You're anxious about, about your friend. You're anxious about someone in this church. He says, pour it out to God. And then I love the next verse. He says, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. As we begin 
to, to pour ourselves before God for our own needs, but for the needs of one another, that anxiety begins to slowly slip away. You know what? We're human. It's never going to go away completely. It's always gonna, we're always going to struggle as we find God work. There's a calmness. There's a, there is a, a reassurance that I have personally and that all of us can have when we come to the point where we realize, you know what? I can't do this alone. Yet, Scripture tells me that when I go to God in prayer, there is power in my prayer. And so, even though I can't do this, God, you can. So, I don't have to be anxious. I don't have to worry. God, you are the one that's going to do the work. We see in Scripture, we see there are so many impacts and benefits of praying for one another. But finally, the last thing I want to look at is ask the question, how can I pray for others? What do I pray? How do I do it? I want to review the prayers made by for others. The best thing that anyone can do for one another is to pray. We live in a sinful world where bad things happen to people all the time, where people are tempted to sin, and praying for one another not only helps that person find God in the midst of trouble, but it also helps us to recognize the blessing of praying for others. And so to answer the question, how can I pray for others, what we need to do is we need to look in Scripture. And as I said a little bit ago, Paul prayed numerous times for the needs and the cares of others, and Paul constantly was going to God. But I want you to notice, if you will, just in a few minutes here, some of the things Paul prayed for. And you're gonna look, we're going to look at some verses, and in those verses, there might be five things that Paul prayed for, and I might only address a couple, because I, I just want to hit on a few, but I want you to notice, what did Paul pray for, for others? Well, first of all, we see he prayed for wisdom and power. If you notice in Ephesians, when he's talking and he's praying, but he's telling the people, he says, my prayer, this is in the midst of a prayer, and he says, my prayer for you is that you have eyes, that the eyes of your heart are enlightened. What does that mean? He says, my desire is that you have, that you have wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to make right choices. It's not knowledge that he prays for as well, but it's the ability to make right choices. And he says, my prayer for you as a people is that you make the right choices. That your eyes are enlightened, your heart is enlightened. He goes on, he says, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints? And that is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us. He says, I also pray that you see and understand the power in your life. When you pray for those around you, you know, praying that God will give them wisdom. You have someone who's, who's struggling, you know, and, and many times some of you will come to me and you'll say, you know, I'm, my, my grandson is, is, is not doing what he's supposed to. Pray for wisdom. Pray that God would infuse them with wisdom. And you say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm praying for so-and-so who's, who's been sick for a long time. Pray for power that they'll see the power of God in their lives. See, Paul prayed for that. second thing we want to notice is Paul prayed for strength 
and knowledge. Prayed for strength and knowledge. Notice again in Ephesians, again he's going through a prayer and he says that according to the riches of his glory, he may, God may grant you to be strengthened. To be strengthened. You ever feel weak? And why do you feel weak? Many reasons. God did not, I mean, Paul did not pray that whatever was causing them to feel weak would be removed. He says, my prayer for you as people is that you will be strengthened. So we pray that God will strengthen us and and we see that Paul addresses that. And he goes on in that verse and he says that you will be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that being rooted and grounded in love. And he goes on and he describes more of that in the next verse, but the idea of rooted and grounded in love is that that you have a proper knowledge. You have a knowledge of who God is. Paul prays for strength and knowledge. Next one as we go on, we see... Alex, if you could turn the slide for me. Next one we go on and we see is discernment. You see in the next verse in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 9, it says, And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent. He says, My prayer is that you have discernment and love. My prayer is that you have the ability to make right choices. Man, if you want to know how to pray for me, as, a, as your pastor, I'd love for you to pray that I have discernment. That every day that I make choices that are, are good, not just for my own needs, but also for the needs of the body. You want to know how to pray for your neighbor. Pray for the person sitting in the pew next to you. Pray for a coworker. Pray that they have discernment. And we live in a world today where there's a lack of that. There's a lack of discernment. There's a lack of the ability to say, this is what's right to do, and this is what's wrong to do, and I'm going to do what's right. You don't live in that type of world. So pray the discernments. Along with that, he says that he prayed for spiritual understanding. When he's talking to the church at Colossae, he says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The ability to understand what God has for you. Understand Scripture. As you read through it, they understand it. Pray that your, 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 your kids will understand Scripture. Pray that those around you will understand what God's will is for them. He goes to the next one, he says, pray for steadfastness. And he says to the church at Thessalonica, he says, may the, God, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. He's praying that the people would have endurance. And we have individuals in our church, I think of, of Ken, who's been struggling with, with, with battling cancer. You know, my, my prayer is that a miracle happens. But if not, that God will give them endurance. As a church, we've been praying for, for Pastor and, and Liz Miller for quite a while. And my prayer has been, you know, that God removes all the struggles he's going through. But maybe, you know what, maybe that's not the answer 
So I've been praying that God will give them endurance, steadfastness, because it's in the midst of those trials where it's easy to give up. It's easy to say, I can't do this anymore. Pray for steadfastness. Some of you in here, you have kids who have gone away from God and and it's it's painful on your heart. There's times where you just want to give in and give up. I, I know many of your situations and my prayer for you is that you have steadfastness. That you have endurance to say, you know what, it hurts, it's painful, and I know it is. God is good. And God will give strength. And Paul said to the people, he says, I know that it's hard, but my prayer for you is that you have the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. And then finally, Paul says, I pray for boldness. When he's talking to Philemon, he says, to Philemon, he says, I pray, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us. His prayer there is that they may have boldness, that Philemon has boldness. He says this to other individuals and other churches as well. He says, as you go out, that you will have boldness. You know, as a church, our prayer for, should be for each other that we have boldness. When we go into our neighborhoods, we go into to, to the, the gas station, to the restaurants, that we have boldness to share. My question for you is, how much do you pray for one another? How often do you pray not just for the physical, but much more than that. There's an author by the name of A.W. Tozer. Some of you have read his books. Fantastic. If you have not, I, I challenge you to read. He has Knowledge of the Holy is uh, one, and there's others that are just powerful books. A.W. Tozer was a pastor and an author. Uh, He ministered in the city of Chicago from 1928 to 1959. During that time, he was known as a man who pursued God. He was known as a man who had a very powerful prayer life. On one occasion, a a new pastor moved into the area, and so uh, Tozer called him up and told him, he said, you know, it's, it's a challenge to minister in a large city like Chicago. And he said, my challenge to you is that you are constantly praying for the needs of the people in your church, both physically and spiritually. Tozer said this, he said, if you would like, I will pray with you. He said to him, I, I go down, this is in Chicago, he says, I go down every day to the lake and I pray every day at 530 You just come down anytime you want and we can pray together. He says, I pray for the spiritual needs of my church and I pray for the spiritual needs of Chicago. The minister was impressed, but he moved on and he didn't think much about it. And and, uh, actually, a few years later, he was was going through a struggle and a trial in his life and he said, I just need need someone who will pray for me. I need a friend. I need someone who will care. And his, his mind went back to what Tozer had said, uh, a few years before, he said, you know, anytime you want. And so he said, well, I, I doubt he still goes and does that. But he decided to go and he went one morning uh, at six in the morning and went down to, to the lake. And he said, he, as he came down to the spot where he was supposed to be there, there he was. A.W. Tozer was buried his face in the sand and was begging to God for the people of the city. He was a man of prayer. 
Tozer, when he died, he continues to live with that legacy as someone who had an intimate walk with God through prayer. And one time he said this, and it's in one of his books, he says, to desire revival in our lives and in our churches, and at the same time to neglect personal prayer for each other, is to wish one way and to walk another. We will never understand everything about the way God works through prayer. We'll never fully get how God works through, through, through our words that we utter to Him, but we do know this, it does. And we do know this, God says, pray for one another. Pray for one another. God promises that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So the question I have for you is, are you praying for one another? I want you to stop and, and just, just for a moment think about those that are sitting around you. Are you praying for them? You know what you, you will find that begins to happen, and some of you know this. As you begin to pray for those around you, a love and a passion will grow for them. And a lot of these other areas we're going to talk about in Scripture, the, the one another passages, the the love one another, the be united to one another, the encourage one another, the edify one another, all of those become a lot easier when you're praying for one another. But when you're not praying for one another, then what happens is those are difficult. When you're not praying for that person who, who is, it, it drives you nuts, who irritates you, who, who criticizes you, who mocks you. When you're not praying for that person, it's really easy to get critical of them as well. When you begin to, be, begin to pray for one another, you'll find that those, those tr- troubles, although they might still exist, they lessen. We see that James's comment in our passage this morning was, confess your sins to one another and pray. And then he says this, that you may be healed. I don't believe necessarily that's a physical healing. I believe that's a healing of the heart. Are we praying? Let's pray. God, I am thankful for Your Word. I'm thankful for the examples we see in Scripture of men who prayed so consistently and so faithfully. God, I'm humbled by the example of Christ. That though He is God, and though He has all the power of God, yet He prayed so consistently. He longed for power in His life. He longed for the working in His life. Lord, and then I'm drawn to the example of Paul. A guy who, who in many ways struggled, and yet a guy who faithfully understood that prayer was his only way of escape. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to be that way. Lord, but I pray most importantly today that we as a church will pray for one another. Lord, that we'll pray for the the spiritual needs, not in in a judging, condemning way, but in a compassionate, loving way. Lord, that we'll pray for each other that we'll have a growing understanding of You. 
will understand that you are a, a holy, great God, and you are a powerful God. Lord, that I pray that you will help us to continue to pray for the needs of others, that they'll have spiritual wisdom, that they'll have steadfastness, that they won't desire to give up on the circumstances around them, or that they won't quit because you haven't given them the answer they want, but that they will continue to go on. Then, Lord, I pray that we as a church will continue to pray that we have boldness. Boldness to love, boldness to care, boldness to serve, boldness to share the gospel. Lord, I pray that we'll be a church that spends a lot of time, a lot of dedication, praying for each other so that we can be united in love. Lord, we thank you again. We ask that you are glorified. We ask this in your name. Amen.